Hello and welcome to another episode of Victor's Corner. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, one-fourth of the Codex Prime podcast, and today is Tuesday, January 17th, 2017. And I thank you for tuning in once again, and I am glad to be back here as well. And as you can tell, once again, the Codex Prime podcast hiatus continues, and I am holding down the fort once again all by my lonesome. Now, I will say that the hiatus will end once February rolls around, we will be back as a whole on the main Codex Prime podcast at the beginning of February. Now, I feel like I just jinxed that whole proposition once again, because watch when February rolls around, I will not be surprised if for some reason or another, uh, we decide uh, not to bring the band back together again for uh, for another extended period of time. Now, I did say that we would be back uh at the beginning of this year, which was two weeks ago, and uh, that didn't come to fruition. I also said that we, w- we will be back uh, last week. Once again, that did not come to fruition. But, you know, uh, once again, like I said, life stuff keeps getting in the way. And, uh, you know, we decided as a whole to take a sabbatical, uh, you know, just to kind of, you know, uh, avoid burnout, as it were. In case if anybody was wondering, so so no, there's no uh, trouble in paradise, as it were. So we all decided uh, mutually to you know take a take a short little hiatus, uh, sabbatical, and come back, you know, refreshed, renewed, and re-energized for this year. And we will continue to bring more episodes of the Codex Prime podcast beginning uh, in the first week of February. So be sure to tune in once again for all that good nerd culture. Uh, magic and goodness and wonderment and in the meantime i have another uh, episode of victor's corner for you all which is a regular feature uh once again um i do uh, we're going to begin with a, a, a little bit of some wrestling talk and we're going we're gonna to get into my film review of martin scorsese's latest film silence This past weekend, WWE hosted their first ever United Kingdom Championship Tournament, which was a two-night tournament consisting of 16 competitors from the British wrestling scene, um, all coming from local UK-based wrestling promotions like Progress and ICW, among others, all vying for the first ever United Kingdom Championship title. And this took place live on the WWE Network in the Empress Ballroom, in Blackpool, England, which is the hometown of William Regal. And this was four plus hours of some mighty fine wrestling. And these are all competitors whom I've never seen before. And I gotta say, I came away very impressed by what I saw. Uh, the, the UK crowd was was a big reason why this, why this whole event was so enter- entertaining to watch and so exciting. And some of the chants they came up with were just off the wall. Like, <laughs> you would never hear those chants in, a, in an American crowd, but that's why a UK crowd is definitely the more exciting of the two. Um, but many, there were many standout competitor, competitors in this uh, 16-man tournament, uh, w- one of which, first of all, uh, was the eventual winner of the tournament, Tyler Bate, who is a 19-year-old kid, just 19 years old, yet he has the the the, the skills of a seasoned vet. I mean, I came away 
very impressed with each and each and every one of his matches. Um, in fact, he had my favorite match in the first round of the tournament, which took place on Saturday against Tucker. And, you know, he just he just has this likable aura to him. He comes out with his, uh, you know, British dandy wave, you know, because, you know, that's what British gentlemen do, I suppose. And uh, I really like the look of this kid, Tyler Bate. Like he, he he reminds me of he reminds me of a young Bob Backlund. And he's just a he has a very uh, technical style uh, uh, of wrestling as well. Uh, one of the matches in which I that which just took me out of my seat was his match against Wolfgang, who's an, who's another uh, uh, a Scottish wrestler who I believe is the current ICW World Heavyweight Champion. And uh, their match was in the semifinals of the tournament, which took place uh, this past Sunday. And I, for, I, it, was, it was definitely a mismatch in terms of, in terms of uh, uh, opponents because it was very much a David and Goliath scenario where Wolfgang, he's this uh, six foot three, 255 pound, you know, um, uh, beast of a man who can pull off some impressive high flying moves for a guy his size. I mean, this guy pulls off moonsaults and swanton bombs like he was Jeff Hardy, like he was a cruiserweight. And the crowd was very much into him. And, uh, Going into his match against Tyler Bate in the in the second round, I I, I thought that Wolfgang was gonna pull a, pull a victory, but but man, Tyler Bate re- really showed uh, his skill, and when he when he this this kid who's like what one hundred like I think one hundred and seventy five pounds I believe managed to pull off a double a sitting double underhook power bomb which he calls the tyler driver 97 on this big ass dude wolfgang i was like holy shit what this dude is a freak of nature he's like a he's like a young cesaro with his with his like amazing feats of strength and he managed to pull off the one two three and that's when i knew that man he's he's destined to win uh this tournament and after he won his match against Wolfgang, he was attacked by the uh, monster heel of the tournament, uh, Pete Dunn, who calls himself the Bruiserweight. Now, I was very, very impressed by Pete Dunn as well. I mean, this dude was just, just a, a just a smarmy little shithead of a heel that you just loved to hate. I mean, this dude, Pete Dunn, has the the heel stick down pat. He reminds me of this. This this sniveling young high school middle school bully, and he just has that aura around him. Just just this just this this ruffian, this this reprobate that you just don't want to see win. You don't want to see him get ahead. You don't want to see him succeed in the ring. But at the same time, you can't deny his skills and his smash mouth style and how he just gets the job done. And man, he was pulling off some real heelish tactics throughout this whole tournament and. William Regal was just apoplectic at this kid just just basically undoing, you know, in a way, almost undoing William Regal's hard work of setting up this whole tournament. And I got to say, man, I would definitely love to see more of Pete Dunne, not just in, the, in, in UK-based shows, but I would love to see him in NXT because I believe he could be a really, really compelling heel uh, on that show as well. Like, he was just... Like he, some of the moves that he pulled off were very impressive. Like his um, what he, his maneuver that he calls the X Plex, which is a release vertical suplex where he 
lets his where he releases his opponent midway in the middle of said suplex so they turn around and they land right on their back and um his move called the bitter end which is like a pump handle uh into a sto which i thought was a very uh, uh fresh looking maneuver and uh, his match, his final match against uh, Tyler Bate for the for the UK Championship title, was definitely a match of the year contender. So man, I just want to see more work from from Pete Dunne in the future. I mean that 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 kid has it. He's definitely a heel that you just love to hate, kind of like Kevin Owens is right now. So man, he he's he's tough. He he's he's a tough talker, but he definitely backs it up in the ring too. Um, there were many other standouts in this tournament too, uh, like for example, Mark Andrews, who has an impeccable shooting star press. He's a high-flying uh, athlete. He would definitely fit in very well in the cruiserweight division. So hopefully we can see more of him uh, perhaps on the main roster, uh, perhaps on 205 Live and help liven up the cruiserweight division as well. I mean, I know he was previously in TNA um, uh, wrestling as Mandrews. Uh, so he he was he was awesome. Um, there was another another cat, uh, Trent Seven, uh, who hails from Mustache Mountain, uh, and he does have an impeccable mustache and beard. I got to give him that. I mean, his mustache game is definitely on point. I guess him and Jack Gallagher could maybe form a stable or maybe a, a rivalry at some point. I don't know, but uh, Trent Seven was a very good athlete too, and. Um, he definitely has some charisma. He's very likable, and I can definitely see why the crowd uh, takes to him as well as they do. So I want to see more of him uh, as well. Um, another person that I was impressed by in this tournament was Danny Birch. Now, Danny Birch, um, he's been uh, around in NXT uh, for the for the past couple of years, but man, he was in he was in the best shape that I've ever seen him in uh, coming into this tournament, and I really wanted him to win uh, his first round match against. Uh, uh, who is it? Uh, Jordan Devlin. Uh, Jordan Devlin, he was another heel that uh, the fans did not take to uh, at all, uh, mainly because Jordan Devlin, uh, he won his match against uh, Danny Burch in a very controversial fashion where he pinned Burch uh, and the referee counted three, but Burch lifted his shoulder just just when just at the split second when the referee hit that last uh third last three count so unfortunately he wasn't able to advance in the tournament and uh, uh jordan devlin he kind of comes off as like a finn balor cosplayer he kind of like a, like a discount store finn balor and it doesn't really help because a he was trained by finn balor and b he does hail from the exact same hometown as balor uh bray county wicklow ireland so for him you know, that whole wannabe Finn Balor stick kind of works against him. But in a way, he definitely owned up to that. And he definitely played that up uh, for the crowd, which made it even more sweeter when he did not win uh, his second round match. Um, but I do want to see more of him. And I'm curious to see how they're going to play that whole Balor connection if they decide to uh, uh, feature him more on WWE programming. Um uh, what else? What else is there? Um, man, I, like I said, uh, it's it's a it's it, it was an impressive tournament, and I gotta say that I really liked the 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 look of the UK Championship title. Although it, although it has the same shape as the main titles in the uh, on the on Raw and SmackDown, um, I do lo I really love the uh, the uh, central uh, gold 
uh, plate of the title. It kind of has like a coat of arms uh, design along with the uh, United, United Kingdom uh, champion banners on, on, on the top and bottom. And it looks very classy. And so I'm very curious to see where the, where WWE takes uh, the UK championship from here. If uh, if the UK uh, wrestling wrestling show will be a WWE Network exclusive show, or if they'll feature the uh, some of the talent on the main shows. But in any case, I would love to see more of these talents, and I'm also I also would love to see more of the British wrestling scene from Progress and ICW because, man, this was an excellent showcase, uh, for 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 the uh, British wrestling talent. So, if you're in the mood to check out some mighty fine wrestling from WWE and some and from, and from completely different talents whom you whom you may have never seen before, please check out the. WWE United Kingdom Championship Tournament, and it's four plus hours of some great wrestling. So check it out and uh, let me know what you think at Codex Prime Podcast at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts if you have seen this tournament. Also, in further wrestling news, WWE has confirmed yesterday that Kurt Angle will officially be inducted into the Hall of Fame class of 2017. Uh, The former WWE World Champion and Impact Wrestling star is the first and only Olympic gold medalist to compete inside the WWE Squared Circle, and he is one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. And people, that's not just an opinion, that is a fact. Oh, it's true, people. It's damn true. (laughs) I gotta say, man, I am very excited to see Kurt Angle return to the WWE. And I am very very much looking forward to, to seeing his induction speech. And I would, and I hope this means that we're gonna see one final in ring run of Kurt Angle. It doesn't have to be a full time schedule, but maybe a handful of high profile part time matches to cap off his illustrious career. Um, but in any case, I'm very happy to see Kurt Angle back in the fold. And there are two other names that have also been announced. Um, and those names include Diamond Dallas Page, who definitely deserves an induction just for DDP Yoga alone, never mind his remarkable career in the ring. And also Ravishing Rick Rude will receive his long overdue induction into the Hall of Fame. Okay, people, let's move on to my film review of Martin Scorsese's latest feature, Silence, which has opened in wide release this past weekend. Now, Silence has been a passion project of Martin Scorsese's for the past 25 years, and it's based on the 1966 novel of the same name by Japanese author Shusaku Endo. And the film stars Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, and Liam Neeson. And the story is set in the 17th century, where two Portuguese Jesuit priests, Father Rodriguez and Father Garupe, both respectively played by Garfield and Driver, both travel to Japan to find their missing mentor, Father Ferreira, played by Liam Neeson, as well as to spread Catholicism across the land. Now, they both travel with urgency because they both receive news that Father Ferreira has committed apostasy, that he has renounced his Christian faith. And disbelieving this news, both priests set sail to Japan to find out the truth for themselves. Now, Silence is a contemplative cerebral film that is nearly three hours long, but it's completely riveting 
throughout its runtime. And it's not the type of film that, that you can watch passively. Uh, what you get out of Scorsese's film largely depends on what you're willing to bring to the table, um, you're, how willing you are to engage the philosophical questions and the themes that the film presents, and as well as your own perspectives on spirituality and religion. And it's a film that takes its time to unfold, and it's definitely a challenging film. In fact, I dare say that Silence is perhaps one of the most challenging films in Scorsese's catalog, as well as one of his most rewarding. So in that respect, uh, this film might not satisfy everyone's taste. Um, even among Scorsese's biggest and most passionate fans, it might be divisive. But however much you're willing to invest uh, emotionally and intellectually into this film, you might gain a lot from this film as well. So just keep an open mind as you, if you decide to uh, get into this film. Now, Silence is a film that certainly lives up to its title in several ways. Uh, for example, it literally lives up to its title because there is no musical score throughout this film, which lends the film a more contemplative vibe. And since there are no musical cues that tell you how you should feel about or emotionally engage a scene, you're left to think about these characters, events, and these questions that the film raises for yourself. So there's no musical score to help emotionally or intellectually guide you to how you should perceive these characters you're kind of left to your own devices in that respect and i kind of res and i do respect the film for giving us the viewer that amount of agency to just take a step back and respect our intelligence and allow us to perceive these characters however we choose to Silence could also reference questions about the existence of God in this world as well as the world of the film. Uh, for example, when the priests pray and when they face horrors and struggles that test the very limits of their faith, as well as their physical and mental endurance, you kind of ask yourself if God is even listening or if he's even there. And or, or, if he's, or if God is there, is he just an impassive observer? And if so, what does this mean for the priest's mission? I mean, if they if they come to the conclusion that God is there with them, do they do they see their suffering and their ordeal as ennobling or as uplifting in a way, or do they see their suffering as all for naught if God is just not there or if God is just indifferent to their suffering? And if so, how does that what does that mean for how they view their own faith. I mean, there's there's a lot of questions right there as, as to how Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver's characters engage uh, these very questions, as well as how they are affected by the people that they encounter and the events that they endure. Uh, silence could also reference the cultural imperialism perpetuated by the occupying European nations in East Asia during the time the film is set, uh, specifically the silencing of Japanese cultural, religious, and spiritual beliefs, as well as uh, Japanese norms and practices, and replacing them with the quote-unquote one true faith of Christianity with a benevolent facade. And although, yes, both the characters of Father Rodriguez and Garupe are both sincere, well-meaning, and good-hearted devotees in their faith, at the end of the day, they are still parts of an even bigger machine that is seeking to placate and subjugate the masses, and the church is a key factor in all of this. And also, uh, silence 
also refers to the silencing or suppression of the Japanese who consider themselves Christian. And there are many uh, Japanese uh, Christians who had to practice in secret away from the eyes of the authorities, lest they be prosecuted or persecuted rather. So silence is a, is a title that definitely works in multiple, uh, multiple levels. Now, one of the main questions that stood out to me in this film is when it comes to apostasy, if one is truly a believer deep down, should it matter if apostasy means helping or saving the lives of others? And this is a question that stood out to me when you, when you look at the character of Father Rodriguez, played by Andrew Garfield, who's tortured internally and externally throughout the film, not only by his own ordeal, but the ordeals around those who embrace his faith and are persecuted because of it. Um, in fact, there's a scene uh, in the first act of the film where the Inquisitor, uh, Inoue Masashige, played by Issei Ogata, arrives at the very coastal village that uh, Father Rodriguez and Garupe are hiding out in. And so Inoue, he orders the Christians of the village to step forward and to place their feet to step on a carved stone tablet of Jesus Christ, a likeness of Christ. And he orders them to show him that they are not Christians by stepping by stomping on this, uh, this this stone tablet of Christ, as well as spitting on these wooden crosses that are presented to them, and these displays are for him to show that okay, if you guys, if you people truly are not Christians, then then it should be nothing for you to step on this symbol of Christ, these these symbols of Christ, and to disrespect them. And for those who either refuse to do that or outwardly admit that they are Christians, indeed. They are then tortured and then put to death because of it. And we see this at one point when uh, three of the villagers are that have helped uh, Father Rodriguez and Garupe hide out, uh, three of the villagers are tied to wooden crosses on the rocky shoreline of their village, and they, and they eventually drown from the rising tides. And, this, and, 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 this, and that's a scene that definitely st stood out to me because uh, here... I, I, I kind of ask myself whether or not too much importance is placed on religious symbols and customs. And, and, and what I mean is that if these, if these people are indeed Christian and, and, and want to choose to, you know, practice their faith in secret, then maybe deep down, if they went through the charade of, you know, stepping on, you know, the, the stone tablet of Christ and spitting on those wooden crosses, they probably would have been able to live. They probably would have been able to survive. But, you know, perhaps the Inquisitor might not be so easily convinced and he might you know, force them to, you know, engage in other tests to, uh, to expose their Christianity. So from the, from the believer's perspective, that might not be so easy for them to outwardly deny uh, their, their newfound faith. But again, I always, but, but again, I was kind of wondering whether or not we place too much importance on those religious symbols and customs and isn't it more important to have a personal faith and belief if you are indeed a believer i mean do you really have to place so much stock and so much um emotional investment in those symbols if 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 you really are a believer and if you have that faith deep down but again these are these are questions that aren't that aren't that aren't so easy to answer and it, and it largely depends on your perspective 
Also, on the question of uh, apostasy, uh, there's a point where uh, Inquisitor Inoue tells Rodriguez that, quote, the price of your glory is their suffering, meaning that if Rodriguez would only renounce his own beliefs, he could save the lives of those under his watch. But Rodriguez emphatically chooses not to and instead begs for mercy as those around him suffer greatly, some to the point of death. And at this point, it seemed to me that Rodriguez served as an example of the arrogance of religious faith in the sense that it seems as though his own personal fidelity in his faith should take precedence and even overcome whatever hardship he and those with him are enduring. And in that respect, I kind of had very uneasy and ambivalent feelings towards the character of Father Rodriguez because it seemed like he was placing his own faith above the very lives of those in his, in his care. And in that, in that wise, a qu- another question that the film presents is, what is the most moral and Christ-like action to take? To renounce one's faith verbally in order to end the suffering of others? and thus continue being faithful in secret, or to be defiant against all odds. But in that wise, is this not prideful? And isn't pride a sin? Is that not arrogance to place your own faith and your your outward display of your faith above the very lives of others? Um, Also, the symbolic gestures of renouncing one religious faith for the sake of self-preservation In that wise, if God truly deep down knows what is in one's heart, wouldn't he understand that his believers aren't really denying him or their faith? So what's more important, one's true inner beliefs or the outward display of them? And also, if the priests and the European colonizers for that matter never arrived in Japan, Would Inoue or any authority figure have a reason to torment and kill these poor people? Or would they they have conjured up reasons of their own that have nothing to do with religion or spirituality? Or, again, would their reasons have something to do with their own native spiritual beliefs? Who knows? These, these These are complicated questions that, again, have no easy answers. And speaking of Andrew Garfield, man, he is such a terrific actor, and in silence he really delivers a great turn. In my opinion, it's only a matter of time before he receives an Academy Award someday. And his character of Father Rodriguez is someone who you empathize with, but are also agitated by to a certain extent, for the reasons I've mentioned concerning his his stubbornness in the face of his and others' suffering. But his ordeal, and that of Adam Driver's character, Father Garupe, who's more of a supporting character in this film, is just fascinating to watch. Also, Issei Ogata also gives a rather captivating performance as, as the Inquisitor. And as cruel as he can be, uh, in a way is not presented as an easily contemptible figure either. As a matter of fact, this film does not present both priests as the easy-to-root-for angelic protagonist in a simplistically portrayed foreign land. Everyone in this film, from the priests to all of the Japanese characters, are given, nu- are given nuanced portrayals, which is something that I definitely appreciated. 
of Inouye and Rodriguez, they also engage in several conversations throughout the film. And Inouye explains to Rodriguez at one point how Western religions, specifically Christianity, are incompatible with Japanese beliefs and culture, at least in his, from his perspective. Uh, he explains that Christianity can't grow in a swamp, which is the word he uses to, to describe his own country of Japan. And Rodriguez naturally disagrees with Inoue's assessment, but they both present very compelling arguments, and you do come away with a genuine understanding of their individual perspectives. And this aspect also speaks to the film's undercurrent theme of cultural imperialism, that perhaps conflicts arise partly because the religious beliefs of the colonizer do not take into account the cultural perspectives of the country and the people it is attempting to colonize. Another key element in this film is the supporting character of Kichijiro, played by Yosuke Kobozuka, who's another key character in the film whose, re whose recurring presence is rather interesting. Uh, in the beginning of the film, Kichijiro is a drunkard who leads the two priests to Japan in the first place. And and even by his own admission, he's a weak man who claims to be Christian, yet he has little qualms about selling out his own family to save his own skin, or betraying Rodriguez while begging for his forgiveness in the same breath. And to me, the character of Kichijiro seems to be an almost mocking presence to someone as staunchly devout as Rodriguez. And Kichijiro tests the Christian mantra of forgiveness and turning the other cheek. And you can even see in Rodriguez's suppressed reactions that he just wants to tell the guy to fuck off badly. Like he just wants to just like, just like knock the piss out of him. And in that respect, you kind of ask yourself if Kichijiro is a walking test for Rodriguez throughout the film. And also from a certain point of view... You gotta ask yourself, perhaps is Kichijiro the most Christian character in the film? And what I mean is that here you have somebody who is a total wretch, a self-admitted admitted wretch at, at that. But he still tries to keep the faith. He's still someone who's trying to forgive, still someone who's trying to confess his own sins, his own issues, and someone who's always trying to you know, trying to be the best Christian he could possibly be. And since nobody's perfect, shouldn't Rodriguez find Kichijiro's str struggle laudable and praiseworthy, even in just a tiny way? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, if, maybe it sounds like maybe it kind of sounds like Schadenfreude, or maybe it sounds like I'm kind of rubbing salt in the wound. But I, I just found that character really interesting as somebody who tests the very limits of of Rodriguez, who's someone who as as devout and as understanding and as empathetic as he is, even he has a breaking point. And Kichijiro in some ways is that very breaking point. And it's very interesting to see their dynamic unfold in the film. And uh, last, lastly, um, you, there's also uh, Liam Neeson's character as well, who I can't get into any details. Um, you just have to see it for yourself because that will definitely reveal a lot uh, from this film. But I will say that for those of you 
who are expecting a 17th century version of Taken just because Liam Neeson is in this film. In case you haven't figured it, figured it out by this review, you've got the wrong film. Just go watch Taken, the, the first one anyway. I mean, you don't have to watch Taken 2 or 3 because those are hot garbage, but Taken 1 is pretty damn good. But, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But uh, Liam Neeson does does have, have an interesting presence in the film as well. But again, you'd have to you'd have to see that for yourself. Um, but overall, uh, like I said, uh, Silence is a challenging film in Martin Scorsese's Martin Scorsese's catalog, and um, it's a rather divisive film. Like I said earlier, it's not for everybody. You'll 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 either come away uh, come away liking it, or you may come away hating it entirely. Um, but again, it's not a film that you can just watch passively, like 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 any other film. It's a film that demands your attention, it demands your intellectual and emotional investment, and it demands you to engage the questions that it presents to you. And whether or not you're a you're spiritual, you're religious, or you're a non-believer, atheist, agnostic, there's something of value in this film for just about anybody. So I highly recommend Silence. Um Again, it is th it is nearly three hours in length, and it is a slow, contemplative film, so it may test the patience of some of you out there. So in that respect, I would totally recommend watching it on Blu-ray once it's available, so you can have take the time at home to watch it for yourself and engage the themes and the philosophical questions that it presents. And also, uh, real quick, I do recommend uh, two other films that are similar to Silence as well, which are available on Blu-ray. Uh, the first is Martin Scorsese's uh, 1988 film, The Last Temptation of Christ, starring Willem Dafoe as, as Jesus Christ. And that film's really inter interesting, too, because it's very controversial. It actually presents uh, Christ as a very human figure, someone who's very human and very flawed and very conflicted with his uh, destiny to, you know, die on the cross. And he kind of pushes back against his 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 very destiny, his very mission, his very purpose on earth. And I thought that was really, really intriguing. And it may and that's a film that might piss off uh, some of some of the more fundamental uh, conservative Christians out there. But I will say that the last temptation of Christ is not only a respectful and daring portrayal of Christ, but it's it's definitely a far far superior film to uh, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, which is just two hours of some poor sod getting his ass torn to shreds. And nobody wants to see that. Well, I know, well, obviously millions of people did see that and loved it, but eh, it's not my cup of tea. And also, uh, there's also another uh, film that I do recommend, which which uh, which kind of which is similar to Silence in in several ways, and that's the 1986 film The Mission, starring Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons, and directed by Roland Joff Joffe, which won the Oscar for Best Cinematography, and that is a very gorgeous film, much like Silence as well. So those are two films that I do recommend checking out as uh, supplementary viewing. Uh, in addition to uh, Silence. So that so those three films, Last Temptation of Christ, The Mission, and Silence, could be a triple feature if you do choose to watch all three in succession. But Silence, again, a great film in Scorsese's catalog. Do check it out if you do have an open mind for such material.
Alright people, and before I wrap up this episode of Victor's Corner, I do have one email from one of our listeners here. And this one is from Karina Holloway. And this was from January 1st, so my apologies for getting to this email. I actually neglected to check our Codex Prime uh, email account, which is at codexprimepodcast at gmail.com. So be sure to send your emails if you want yours to be read in the next episode. But uh, Karina says... Hey guys, I've started watching you guys through your Facebook feed in the later part of 2016, and I must say that I feel like I know you guys already. I have so much fun listening to you and try to participate in your question of the week as much as I can. By the way, I feel like I have similar, very similar tastes in movies Victor likes, so keep it going, Vic. I enjoy your reviews. And have you started watching the OA yet on Netflix? Anyways, keep up the great work, Karina. Well, thank you, Karina, for that wonderful email. Um, I have not seen the OA yet, but I did read the synopsis of what it's about, and it sounds really intriguing. Um, for those who don't know, it's a, I believe it's an eight-episode miniseries on Netflix, and it kind of has elements of uh, sci-fi and fantasy. And you know, whenever I get the chance, I will definitely uh, watch it and perhaps give my own thoughts on Victor's Corner or the Codex Prime Podcast. So thank you very much for the recommendation. And as always, people, thank you very much for listening to Victor's Corner. Uh, you can you can email the show at CodexPrimePodcast at gmail.com, and you can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, as well as select episodes on YouTube. And you can find us all over social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And once again, like I said earlier, at the top of the program, we will be back in February, the first week of February. We will we will be back. The band will be back together for a brand new episode of the Codex Prime podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Be well, be awesome, uh, be, be great, be safe, and I will see you all next week. Take care, guys. <laughs>